0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are
1: you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day
2: long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show.
0: Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. So I was on the flight back to DC yesterday and there were some fellow Northwestern fans on the flight and some of their gear and we were all looking a little bit shell-shocked after the game on Saturday night. We were talking about it on Friday's show that I was in Nebraska doing the show from our affiliate KOIL in Omaha driving up to Lincoln Saturday night for the Northwestern Wildcats visiting the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I was not terribly sanguine about the Wildcats' chances for a few different reasons, but I was not anticipating a complete humiliating beatdown. Final score, 56-7. to Nebraska scored touchdowns on seven of their first eight possessions. I mean, they were just scoring at will. So, I mean, it was over in the first quarter. And there were a handful of Purple fans in the crowd, and we were looking at each other on the flight yesterday like, yo, what happened? This was a top-10 team last year. We finished number 10 in the country with an elite defense. I understand that some guys went on to the NFL, our defensive coordinator, who was fantastic, retired, but you don't go from an elite defense to that overnight, typically. So it was uh It was rough. I had the experience, though. Lincoln was a lot of fun. The fans were great. Overall, Nebraska fans, they have a reputation. I've heard other friends who've gone. They are very welcoming. They're extremely friendly and and respectful. I had multiple people offer to buy me drinks. Just like, hey, thanks for making the trip to Lincoln. We appreciate you showing up. What are you drinking? Really, really nice. Other people could not be more complimentary. Oh, what a great program. What a great school. We love your coach, all this stuff. Good luck tonight. Good luck the rest of the way, that sort of thing, which is not the sort of hospitality that you always get as a visiting fan at sporting venues. I think it is very safe to say that I've experienced it. There are other fan bases that are less hospitable, to put it mildly. So tip of the cap to the Husker fans. In fact, even some of the trash talking that I got was relatively polite and tongue-in-cheek. When we scored our one touchdown to make the score, I believe at the time, 21-7, to I stood up and I clapped. I wasn't yelling and screaming. I was just clapping. And a guy down the aisle goes, hey, keep it down over there, and then winked at me because I was not being disruptive at all. And I think we all saw how that game was going. But part of the experience, I guess, at Memorial Stadium is to have these things called Runzas, I believe, is the product. It's like a little Hot Pocket meets a Philly cheesesteak. But instead of onions and cheese, it's cabbage and beef. This is the product that Senator Ben Sass sells. He's a vendor. He goes to these games sometimes and sells Runzas. Like, going through the stands. Get your runza here, and it's a U.S. senator. Then they have a pizza. I forget the exact brand. So I had a bite of the pizza, half a runza. By halftime, I watched the performance from the marching band. I said, Northwestern gets the ball to start the half. I'll watch our first drive. If we don't score a touchdown, I think we're out of here. And uh, narrator, they did not score a touchdown. In fact, they had to punt the ball away, and on the very first play from scrimmage for Nebraska in the second half, they ran the ball something like 80 yards for a touchdown. They started the game with like a 70-yard pass on their first play in the first half, and then an 80-some-odd-yard touchdown run in the second half. That's the way the night went. Even while we were trying to leave the stadium, in the process of us leaving the stadium, Nebraska scored two touchdowns. That's that's how it went. Now, I am not typically one who leaves games early, even if they are frustrating, disappointing games. The reason that we pulled the plug was we had an hour drive ahead of us, and we had parked in one of these multi-layer Parking garages probably on the fourth or fifth floor. So if we had waited until the end of the game, it would have taken forever just to get out of the parking structure, let alone to the highway and heading back down to Omaha. And so everyone else who was with me, my in-laws, Adam, his cousins, they sort of looked at me at the start of the second half and I said, all right, I don't want to spend two or three hours getting home after this. Let's go and out we went now i know there are some hardcore fans regardless of you know what your team is who would say this is poor form you don't leave the game early you know what if you leave early and then you miss a crazy comeback this happened with my dad once he was at an nfl game and he convinced his buddies to leave and then they all missed a historic comeback <laughs> so you know i was wary of that but I also knew the drive ahead of us, knew what the logistics would look like getting out of there, and also had seen with my two eyes the way the teams had been playing for more than a half, and there was a 0% chance of a comeback for Northwestern. So the decision was made, and, and we were actually able to get into the house, turn on the TV, and watch the very end of the game and you know the, the post-game interview with Scott Frost the head coach of Nebraska. Now, Dan, our new engineer, is a big sports fan. He spent years in sports talk radio. Dan, did I violate some sports creed by getting the hell out of Memorial Stadium down 42-7 to in the third quarter?
2: Absolutely not. It's definitely okay at that point. I mean, if you're down by a lot and you're away, it's kind of hard to stay there and take that and, and be with all the fans celebrating. So you did the right thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and again, if it were a more competitive game and it came down to a heartbreaking loss, it would have really sucked to sit there and then have to go through that whole process of leaving. But the team was not competitive. The game was not competitive. I stand by the decision I would do it again. The question is, would I do the whole trip over again? Would I go all the way to Nebraska knowing that that was the outcome? It's hard to say yes, knowing the outcome. Although, again, I was excited to experience Lincoln for the first time. And it was great to see Adam's family. And his cousins were incredibly kind. KOIL, were they were just great in hosting me for the show. We had a fabulous dinner out downtown Omaha on Friday night. So we had a great time with the exception of those, what, two and a half hours where I was in the stadium on Saturday night, which was at least ostensibly the purpose of the trip. Now, there was... Some football watching earlier in the day that, of course, got the attention of producer Christine. She did not care about the outcome of any of these games, not the outcome about the Northwestern game, not my own mental well-being, having sat through the traumatic experience of one of the worst defensive performances I've ever witnessed in my life. She was intrigued by a photograph that I had posted on Instagram of myself in a hot tub Drinking a beer, watching football on a TV that had been wheeled over to the hot tub. This is how we watched some of the early games at Adams Cousins Place. It was a pretty sweet setup. Christine, you seemed almost a little bit envious of this experience. And I'm wondering, could you perhaps develop more of an interest in sports if there were hot tubs and alcohol involved on a regular basis?
1: What I was thinking is it's not really the sports that got me. It was the hot tub, the beer, and the TV outside. I could so sit through a marathon of my housewives, you know, or Golden Girls for hours if that was my setup. I'm going to have to talk to Bobby about this because maybe we can work something out. We have a pretty large deck. I know a hot tub could fit out there. Now, does that hot tub, is that all year round, even if it's cold?
0: Yeah, they use it year round. It's huge. It is one of those oh. hot tubs, I guess, that people get where you can actually swim in it, where they have oh. jets, right, That that's sort of simulating a swimming pool, and you sort of swim in place. It's like a treadmill, but with water. That's the purpose of it, but we used it for the purposes of just sitting around and drinking and watching football. And it was actually nice because there was a little bit of a crisp in the air. Early October, a little chilly outside, warm in the hot tub, had, I believe— A Miller Lite, or several Millers Lite, I believe, if I recall correctly. Watching, I think it was Michigan, Wisconsin, that total blowout that Georgia put on Arkansas. We were just watching a couple of the games. My issue, Christine, is hot tubs, I always enjoy them in theory. And for about three to five minutes, I enjoy. After three to five minutes, I start getting too hot, and I also shrivel up like crazy. My fingers get pruney almost immediately. In fact, I was sitting in the hot tub like a weirdo with my fingers above the water, right? So the only thing above the water were my shoulders, my neck and head, and then me just sitting there with my fingers in the air because I didn't want them to turn into shriveled up grapes immediately. So I actually would have to leave the hot tub and kind of recover outside, get a little chilly again, let my skin get back to something approaching normal, and then I could go back into the hot tub. I just can't do it for very long, which is why the whole marathon thing you were just talking about, hours of watching TV, that would not fly for me.
1: I, well, oh, I don't normally like to agree with you, but I kind of get that feeling. It's the bathroom. Theory also it sounds great in theory but then you're just sitting in warm water for a while and it's like uh this isn't as uh refreshing yes. as, right. as, as you want it to be
0: as we've discussed i'm a shower guy for that reason i just i don't really love baths i never have the difference with the hot tub at least is you've got the jets and there's the the sensation that you're not just stewing in your own gross water, even though that's exactly what you're doing. They're just sort of moving it around. That at least gives you a different feeling as opposed to just a stagnant bath sitting there. So hot tub, definitely preferable. And it was fun, right? Having a drink and watching the game. And he engineered it where he said, don't worry, we're not going to have this thing fall into the hot tub and and electrocute all of us because that was a concern that I did have briefly. Uh, No, it was was a sweet, sweet setup. It just wasn't one that I could enjoy for long periods of time. Plus, I was getting, as the game approached, I was getting nervous, our game. I always get nervous for the games. And you envision like a worst-case scenario, and then it came to pass, right? You think, how badly could it go? And in the worst possible situation you could dream up, it would look something like the first two-and-a-half quarters looked like in Lincoln, Nebraska, from my perspective, on Saturday night. But walked out of there with my head held high, can't let the other fan base know that you're down, and part of being a fan is sticking with your team through thick and thin, but not enough thin to wait until the final buzzer at the very end of the game that was already totally out of reach. So if you're one of these purists who says you've got to stay to the bitter end every time no matter what, you can send me an angry note, You can make your case. I just can't apologize for the series of decisions made on Saturday night. I suspect you might have done the same thing in my shoes. And with that, we are out of here for tonight. Back here for the Tuesday edition on The Guy Benson Show. Have a terrific night. We will talk to you then. Good night. Home stretch here on The Guy Benson Show. We're almost there, but we couldn't let this moment pass Without addressing a show that is all the rage on Netflix and it is growing in terms of buzz and popularity seemingly by the day. I started to hear some rumbles, gosh, days ago, could it have been weeks at this point, about a show that was streaming on Netflix called Squid Game out of South Korea. And there's the option to watch it dubbed with English language voice actors talking over the mouths, because the original show is all in Korean, or you can listen to the original audio with subtitles. So we have mostly been watching the dubbed version, even though I don't love it, because the dubbing isn't great. It's always awkward. Some of the voices are very annoying. So I might consider watching some of the upcoming episodes in the OG Korean language while reading subtitles. It's just a little bit more work for your brain to process everything. And it is a show that kind of warps your brain a bit. So, of course, I've started watching it, as I just hinted. I wasn't really sure. I'm not always an early adopter of these things, and buzz will grow and I'll be skeptical. I wasn't really aware of what the show was about. So, finally, I had heard enough chatter about it, where I finally asked Adam, because he had watched a single episode, someone had recommended to him. So he had watched the first episode. And I said, without any spoilers, can you explain what the show is about? Because all I knew was the title Squid Game. And then it was from Korea. That's it. And he said, it was hard to describe the genre. It wasn't necessarily action or a drama. It definitely wasn't a comedy. It's kind of a mystery, so he read me a very short summary, and he was exactly right, by the way, when he described the vibe of this show as a cross between Black Mirror and The Hunger Games. If you're familiar with either of those franchises, you might like this show if you're a fan of Hunger Games or, separately, Black Mirror, if you love both. Black Mirror and The Hunger Games, I think that Squid Game is definitely for you. Now, the caveat is, and the warning would be, it is exceptionally violent. If you are squeamish about graphic, and I would argue gratuitous violence, then you probably want to take a hard pass on this. Do not let your kids watch the show if they are young. It is disturbing enough for adults Let me try to summarize quickly what it's about without giving anything too big away. There are people in society in Korea struggling with enormous gambling debts or debts that they have incurred for various reasons, personal failings, business ventures going under. They owe a lot of money to a lot of people, and they're getting desperate. And these people are somehow identified— by sort of a mysterious, shady organization that offers them an opportunity to come participate and compete in a series of games at an undisclosed location and have an opportunity to win a huge amount of money. In fact, I believe the grand prize, it is revealed, is in the tens of millions of dollars. When they arrive having signed an agreement to participate. They are given a few rules about how the games go. They sign their consent, and then the games begin, and there's an extremely dark turn that happens almost immediately, and people start to realize what is happening is extremely dangerous. I will leave it there because I don't want to give too much away, but there are, I think, some fascinating insights into human nature, the human psyche, desperation, greed, what people will do under intense pressure, alliances that form, and the interpersonal relationships undergirding those alliances under extreme duress. It's interesting. Now, apparently, because there's a Wall Street Journal story about it, that this show, which they're calling the South Korean survival drama, was shopped around for a decade. And studios were just rejecting it because they thought it was too over the top, too violent, too grotesque, too unrealistic but it is now on track to become Netflix's most-watched show. Here's part of the Wall Street Journal reporting. South Korea's dystopian drama Squid Game might become Netflix's biggest hit ever. But for a decade, local studios rejected the fictionalized show's pitch as too grotesque and too unrealistic. The premise revolves around financially broke adults playing traditional Korean children's games on a secluded island The losers, well, I don't want to give this spoiler away, but a single winner emerges with a cash prize of about $40 million. Squid Game, which debuted September 17th, so it's only a few weeks old, is now a global phenomenon. TikTok videos of people replicating the games, the children's games, not uh, the games as they occur in the show, I would imagine, have gone viral online retailers rushing to sell Squid Game Halloween costumes, which actually would be a pretty good costume, especially some of the guards or maybe the boss. The boss has a pretty awesome costume. Although very creepy. The show is at number one in more than 90 countries, including the United States, a surprise even to Netflix executives. By every metric, the Korean survival drama is on pace now, To surpass Netflix's current record holders, Bridgerton and Lupin, in the total volume of hours watched and the number of subscribers who have tuned into the show for at least two minutes. Quote, it's still trending up. We've never seen anything grow as fast and aggressive as Squid Game, says a Netflix executive. So, look, I'm not sure I'm recommending this. It will be too much for some people. I have to grimace and avert my eyes occasionally. But the twists and turns and plot, that's all compelling. They have cliffhangers at the end of some of the episodes where you almost cannot help but watch the next one. Like the other night, it was probably 1 o'clock in the morning, and we were done. And then the cliffhanger was so intense that we looked at each other like, well— one more. It's eight or nine total episodes. We are more than halfway through. Again, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I just want to put it on your radar. Producer Christine, I'm not sure if this is your cup of tea. Have you watched any of it? Have you even seen the trailer?
1: I saw the trailer, and I was already scared by watching the trailer, so I will not be watching this. This, is, uh, this isn't this is Housewives. Let's just say that. This is no Kardashians. It's,
0: it's definitely not, but... Are you not into that stuff? Have you not watched Hunger Games? Do you get too scared?
1: Yeah, Hunger Games, I got—I I saw the first Hunger Games, and and I read the books, but uh, no, it scared me. It really did. It's, it's just something—I
0: don't— I, This yeah. is way more violent. Really? Oh, yeah. Wh- Hunger Games at least like has that? some— They have some lighter elements in Hunger Games. There's some comedic relief. There are some, like, clear good guys. I guess there are protagonists in this show, but— If you couldn't handle Hunger Games, then stay away from Squid Game is all I'm saying. Dan, our new tech producer and board op, you are sort of tracking with me, right? You've seen more than half of the series?
2: Yes, I've seen about where you are now. And I started watching with my girlfriend, and I'm into this very much, and she does not like it. One thing, because the overdubs (laughs) she hates and can't stand to listen to and then just the absolute violence of it is just too much for her. But I, I love it, so I've been watching it on my own now.
0: Okay, so she basically pulled the ripcord. She's out, but you've continued.
2: Yeah, she gave me the okay. Watch it when I'm not around, and which is a hard thing to do um, in a relationship. you got to kind of watch at the same time, you know? So she gave me the okay, and I watch it on my own.
0: All right, I think that's completely fair. We are both very much into it. There is gasping. There is yelling occasionally. Adam will cover his eyes at certain points along the way. But, I mean, look, there's a reason why it's trending to be the most popular Netflix show of all time, right? It has a way of hooking you, and it's super compelling. And it's just interesting that for years and years, the people who had written this and were trying to shop the script were having doors slammed in their faces. Nope, it's too much. It's too over the top. It's not going to work. People won't like it. And now it's a global phenomenon hitting number one. As you heard there, in dozens of countries, Wyatt, you have not seen this show. Are you tentatively interested now, or is the description turning you off?
2: Yeah, I have to say it's turning me off. But um, and I'm like you
3: when when there's hype around certain things. I I remember Tiger King, and the hype around that, and I waited a long time until I watched that. So I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on this one.
0: Tiger King, I thought was a little overblown. Like it was wild, it was crazy. Some very colorful characters. I did not really love it. But that was at least somewhat like a real-world documentary. This is complete fiction, thank God. Christine, it sounded like you were exasperated and wanted to add something.
1: Well, see, the thing is, I have uh, curious—now I'm watching a lot of clips, and I have a lot of questions, but I think my questions might ruin it for people, so I'll just—we'll have to wait a little bit. But now I'm kind of intrigued, and I think I do want to watch it.
0: Now that is an abrupt— About face. We got a flip flopper here. Producer Christine. We could even call her Flipper, something like that, as a radio producer. That would be novel, never done before. Our very own cookie flip flopping in a matter of seconds on Squid Game. We'll try it out. Watch it with Bobby, maybe a glass of Mama's juice in hand, and let us know what you think. I'm just putting it out there on the radar screen for the audience because it is this huge sensation. We're watching it, it is very intriguing. And it is trending worldwide, as is The Guy Benson Show, as we like to say. Thank you for listening every single day. Back here for the Wednesday edition tomorrow. We will see you on special report on the panel coming up with Brett Baer on Fox News Channel this coming hour. So please tune in for that. In the meantime, have a great night, and we'll talk to you same time, same place on the radio, 21 hours from now. You know,
3: I had a guy tell me early on in my career you're going to spend the rest of your life working your idea or working somebody else's. Got to decide what you want to do. All of us work for mining companies all of our
0: lives. Now we're working our idea. It's the home stretch here on The Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. Thank you for listening, GuyBensonShow.com. The free podcast available every single day. Well, there's a new show on Fox Business Network in primetime. It airs Wednesdays, so tonight, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time on FBN. It's called American Gold, The Legend of Bear Gulch. And two of its stars I saw earlier on with Neil Cavuto on FBN. They join us now from New York in our studios. Rick and Tad Dale are two of the five Dale brothers that you'll see on this show. Rick, Tad, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank Thank you you for having us. All right, Rick. So let's start with this basic question. Before we get to Curious Christine, our producer has lots of questions about what you do. My big picture question is, what is the legend of Bear Gulch, and how does that play into the genesis and the interest, frankly, in your show?
4: Well, the the legend of, of Bear Gulch, as it's being called, was a, a first-hand uh, story told to my grandfather about a gold discovery that a, uh, an old miner found and then covered up because he felt his partner wasn't treating him fairly. The partner grubstaked him but was taking more than his share, he felt. And so he confided in my grandfather because he liked my grandfather, and uh, they were friends, and then that, that account of that lost vein or buried vein was passed down through the generations, my grandfather to my father and my uncles, and then they passed it on to us. So it's, it's more than a legend to us, but that's a good name for it because all these years we didn't own the properties, but now we do. And we're able to do something with it, even though we, we, have a limited budget, and uh, we're a little older. We're giving it all we got.
0: So, Tad, what's the hope here? I had imagined that there's, you know, a ton of gold in one of these mountains (laughs) in Montana. You got to go find it. That's difficult business, right? It costs a lot of money. It can be dangerous. What are the next steps for your family here?
3: Yeah, there's an old saying, you mind till you go broke. But... (laughs) (laughs) We've got a real opportunity here, and of course we're all retired, so that gives us the time to pursue this dream. And this Olie's gold, Ole was the, the prospector that found the original one. Uh, if we can get in, it's a fairly close target, and they're f- close to the surface. We have to tunnel into it. We tried to get into it and had to make some changes, but if we get into that and the and, uh, legend is true, then we can use that as uh, seed money for the bigger target, which is deeper down into the mountain. It's a feeder system that fed these veins and fissures of the gold uh, ore that we were that we would find. And so,
0: so some success early on could help fund further exploration. And this show on FBN, American Gold: The Legend of Bear Gulch, which airs Wednesdays, as I mentioned, eight to nine p.m. It depicts this whole saga. How confident – so I'll ask each of you this before I turn it over to producer Christine, curious Christine. Rick and Tad, on a scale of 1 to 10, right, you're sort of in on this. You're taking a risk. It's a bit of a gamble. There's some family folklore here. You think it's based on something that's serious, but you won't know until you truly know. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that there is gold in that mountain and you're going to find it? Rick and then Tad.
4: I'm confident – to the, the number ten, that there is gold there. I'm confident okay. to the number seven that we'll find some gold. I'm confident to the number six that we'll actually find uh, the feeder system and where all this gold came from, which should lead us to a higher concentration.
0: Tad, does that sound right uh, to you?
3: That sounds exactly right. And there was a lot of gold mining done in this area before World War II, and. So we know they didn't get it all because the World War II shut gold mining down. And so we're um, – it's like ask the, the thief why you robbed the bank. That's because that's where the money is. And, mm-hmm. and us, why are you mining there? Well, because that's where the gold mine was.
0: Oh, it's kind of exciting because there's this rumor or this secret that your grandfather heard about. And now it's kind of like a modern-day gold rush and it's all being – documented on American Gold, The Legend of Bear Gulch, which is a new addition to the Fox Business Network primetime lineup, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. And producer Christine is a girl from New Jersey who has never been to Montana, has never done anything close to mining. So she is extremely intrigued by the entire enterprise here. She's got some questions. Please bear with her. Christine, take it away. Well, I
1: have to say, I don't know much about gold other than what I see at the mall. So I do have some (laughs) questions here. Now, first, I am from New Jersey, and I'm an Italian. And in our family, sometimes we don't all see the eye to eye, and we fight a lot. Now, there's a lot (laughs) of brothers. How are you guys maintaining your relationship through all of this? (laughs) That's a good
0: question.
4: Well, we're we're all type A, (laughs) but we know how to step back a little. And even though we've, we've worked in the corporate environment, most of our careers uh, which actually strengthened the type a in us because we all ended up in responsible positions it's it still is a joy to work with family members Uh, we have a few sparks now and then just like any family but we generally get it all worked out
3: and we do run it as a democracy because we all have There's more than one way to solve the problem, and so we kind of have a vote on it. Sometimes you win, and sometimes you don't.
0: Yeah, with five brothers, there's never a tie, right? It's going to be three to two at worst, so I guess you could vote on certain things. All right, Christine, what's next?
1: So um, a camera crew just showed up. How did did that happen? How did you have a huge show come from this?
3: Uh, Well, it really came through my son um, was— doing a snowma snow extreme snowmobiles show and this company did a sizzle reel and tried to sell that show and it, it just it was a great show but it didn't uh, nobody took it up and <clears throat> fellow asked asking you got anything else any other arrows in your quiver and he said well my my dad and his brothers are mining engineers and they own mining property and they have a gold mine and they're retired so and so they uh they approached us and it 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 wasn't an easy sale because, you know, we're happily retired and we have our own routines. And the one thing that enticed us was they said, well, we'll help you out with a little, you put together a mining budget and we'll help you um, do some infrastructure work. And we said, Uh well, that that would appeal to us where we had roads and a contractor (laughs) and we could open up a tunnel. You know, the money's nice, but that's not what, if we were younger, we probably would have been different, but...
1: Well, who who do you think the breakout star is going to be? You know, in Destiny's Child, it was Beyonce. Who's your Beyonce?
3: <laughs> Boy, I'm not touching that one
4: with a ten foot pole. <laughs> we're we're going to take turns.
0: Well, that's not going to work out so well. I don't think diplomatic diplomatic answer. Uh, my last question, gentlemen, is sort of the danger side of this because you, you hear about mining and it's not without physical risk i know that there are a lot of safety practices and you're going to be very careful but talk about that because as you said you were you're happily retired do you ever think to yourself why am i getting into this at any age let alone at this part of my life
3: yeah we're um we are physically able we've uh you know (laughs) we we had pretty good habits we don't smoke and have never chewed so our health uh, that way is pretty good, and and we've uh, can still put in a f- pretty good shift. Although we're a lot more tired than we used to be, but we are very cognizant of safety because that is the one thing that, and maybe a forest fire that could is the high risk in the area, right. especially this year. So we have a lot of safety meetings, and our yo- our younger brother is he's uh, always kind of the watchdog for us. So. We've all been in safety, we all understand, and um, we are very careful because mining can be dangerous, but we know the risks, and when we get into a mine tunnel, if we can identify the bad areas and we know when to timber, put timber above us so we're not ever working under a bad slope or rocks, and and we've got air monitors because you can have air with no oxygen in some of these tunnels, like the canary in the mine, and so... Um, we are, we do work very safely. We wear high-vis stuff that shows up in the dark in our mine lights. We wear safety glasses, of course, hard hats and hard-toed boots. And, you know, we try to follow all the rules that we followed when we were working for the industry.
0: I mean, that, of course, makes sense. Best practices. And I just find the whole concept here really interesting. The Dale brothers made a childhood pact That one day they would return home to Montana, buy this land, and go in search of this gold that their grandfather was tipped off, existed in this area, and now that adventure is underway and it is documented on American Gold, The Legend of Bear Gulch, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business Network. Two of those brothers, Rick and Tad Dale, with us from New York at the tail end of our show here today. Gentlemen, really fun. Looking forward to watching the show. Good luck with everything and stay safe.
4: Thank we, you. We will. Thank you. And we invite you to
0: Montana. It is a beautiful state. I've been actually to Montana once. I would love to come back. Maybe not into the mines. We'll send producer Christine into oh. the mines. Oh. I, I will volunteer her for that here on the air, and I will watch from a safe distance away. That's my personal preference. Guys, thank you very much. And again, American Gold airs tonight, 8 p.m., Fox Business Network. I'll be on Shannon Bream show in the midnight hour on Fox News Channel, so hopefully you can tune into both of those shows this evening, back here on the radio at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow for The Guy Benson Show. We will talk to you then. Good night. Home stretch on this Thursday. It's The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you'll tune in tonight's special report. I'm on the panel with Brett Bayer and company in the six o'clock hour. So coming up, in a little less than an hour from right now. And then also sticking around for Kennedy on Fox Business Network on her panel. I think it's game night, so that'll be a lot of fun. That's on Fox Business Network. So I will be on Fox News Radio, Fox News Channel, and Fox Business Network on the 25th anniversary of Fox News, which is pretty cool. We talked about this earlier with Bill Hemmer, and he had some great stories. Back from the competition side of things, and then joining... The winning team 16 years ago. I want to share a little bit of my story as well, if you wouldn't mind, because it's a big milestone for this network. And before we get to my story, we want to flash back to the very first moments on air for Fox News. The channel did not exist. And then it debuted on this date in 1996. And this is what it sounded like that morning. Listen. <laughs>
2: Of Fox News Channel. This is Fox News Now. All the news you need in 15 minutes.
0: That was obviously before Fox and Friends existed. I like that music at the very beginning. It's very 90s. Like hard hitting energy. And then the jingle. I don't know what happened to the jingle. For long term viewers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? NBC has the chimes. Bum, bum, bum. ABC has ba 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 ba, and Fox News had bum ba bum, bum ba bum, 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 and they use that in all sorts of different little sounders and stingers. And then it sort of went away at some point on Fox News Channel. I kind of miss it, actually. It was fun to hear that again. If you're one of the original OG fans, if you're one of the real ones, you know exactly the tune and you just heard it maybe you hadn't heard it in years but you're like oh yeah I feel like we should bring it back maybe I'll start a lobbying campaign to bring it back in any case that was 1996 my involvement with Fox News began in 2002 so pretty early on I was in high school in northern New Jersey just outside of New York City and one day I overheard in the hallway In my high school, a girl in my grade talking about how her dad worked at Fox News. I filed this away. I decided to reach out to him, just unsolicited, and pitch myself as a hardworking, ambitious intern. And I just wanted a shot. Could he help me at all get an interview for an internship? And it turned out that he was a pretty senior executive. I did not know that. And in fact, just this week, on Monday night, I had dinner with John Moody and his wife, which is pretty cool. We had a lot of memories to talk about, and he was somehow able to pull a string and get me an interview to become an intern, and I was accepted as an intern, and I worked then for a part of three different summers as an intern at Fox News, 2002, 2003, 2004. four. O two and O three was Hannity and Combs. That's another blast from the past. We all know Hannity, of course. Many of us remember Alan Combs. He was the guy that I actually helped the most in my internship duties, printing out research packets and that sort of thing for Alan. But it was that right versus left debate show, 9 p.m. Eastern time, Hannity and Combs, after O'Reilly and before Greta, if I'm remembering the schedule correctly at that time. In 2004, I was an intern. For Fox's coverage of the Republican National Convention in New York City, which is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. I worked double shifts. I volunteered to do that. And my deal was I will just work basically around the clock without sleeping for the most part if I'm allowed to take about two hours off to watch the speeches from the main stage during prime time. And they said, sure. So I remember very well. President Bush coming out to accept the nomination in 04, and I was sitting right next to Greta Van Susteren, right behind Sean Hannity, watching the president. It was a surreal moment for me as you know, a kid. I was 19. I was in college. My goal as an intern was one day to make it on the air at Fox. And I actually tweeted earlier today and posted on my Instagram story at Guy P. Benson, by the way, if you want to follow me at Guy P. Benson on both Twitter and Instagram, a vintage photo of young me in 2002. All right, so I'm a 17-year-old high school student. I've got the, uh, the dark red shirt with the maroon tie over it, very fashionable. I'm looking extremely serious. I've got the hair combed down to the front and then flipped up with some gel. That was a big, hot look in O2. And I'm sitting in between Sean and Alan, Hannity and Combs. And I remember thinking, maybe one day I can make it on the air and become a part of this team. Flash forward, I've begun my career. It started in Chicago. I started doing some on-air appearances, not just at Fox Business and Fox News, but MSNBC, PBS, a few other places, even CNN. And at some point... In 2013, something shook loose, and I got the call from my agent that Fox News Channel had offered me a contract as a contributor. And it was honestly one of the most exciting days of my career or even my life. It is something that I had been aspiring to for a long time. And to actually get that phone call like it was happening, they were offering me money to be on the air at Fox News Channel. It was – I remember I was in New York City actually. And once I hung up, I played it very cool with my agent on the phone. Then I hung up and like I pumped my fists in the air and I actually sort of like ran down the street. I was so excited. So that was 2013. I cannot believe it's been eight years that I've been a member of the on-air team here as a contributor. It was just a few years ago, 2018, that they offered me a position here on the radio side, co-hosting a show, Benson and Harf, and now the Guy Benson show for the last couple of years. And I just have to say, I, I, I sometimes have to pinch myself. Right? Just the sentence that I said earlier this segment, I'm hosting a show on Fox News Radio. I'll be on with Brett Baier on the panel, special report. I mean, that was like the holy grail for me, big leagues. Back then it was Britt Hume. I remember they had a different theme song. I remember the opening graphics with sort of the animated capital. And you would see the all-star panel, right? It was Mort Kondracki. It was Fred Barnes. It was Mara Liason, who we still see around, and she comes on this show sometimes. And a handful of others. And of course, Dr. Krauthammer. It's like, could I somehow get on that panel one day? And the first time that they asked me to do it, I was, of course, extremely excited and nervous. I still get a little nervous to do special report. Honestly, I still do. And it's not because Brett is scary. It's just in my mind still this huge deal. So it's been a great privilege. I think I've been on almost every show at this network now over the course of these eight years. gotten to know a lot of people, most of whom are still here. Some come and go. And sometimes, you know, it's the way the business works. And as Bill Hemmer alluded to earlier, it's not like this place has been just to easy sailing every step of the way, there have been some real issues, right? And bumps in the road and painful chapters. I still wouldn't trade it for anything because the platform is incredibly forceful. The platform and the reach is influential. I think it is a real privilege And also a duty to use the platform responsibly, and I try, I strive to do that every day. And a lot of this is just a little bit of self-interested navel-gazing and, oh, you know, let's talk about my career. It's very easy for people to talk about themselves. But as I said to Bill Hemmer earlier in the hour, I think if it's allowed, today would be the day. Because if you think about it, Fox News started in 1996 on this date. It was only six years later that I became an intern at Fox News in 2002. So out of the 25 years of Fox News existence, I've at least had some connection to it for 19 out of those 25 years. Now, there was a gap, right? There was a gap between 04, my internship, and then my first ever appearance on the air, which I believe was 2008, 2009, on Fox Business Network. I was living in Chicago. I was doing a radio show in Chicago. I was producing a show in Chicago. I was doing some writing for National Review and for Breitbart at the time. Andrew Breitbart was still alive. And there was a scandal involving the governor in Illinois, Rod Blagojevich. We remember him. And I got an email out of the blue from a Fox Business Network producer and said, hey, you've got a show in Chicago. Would you be willing to come on and talk about Blagojevich? I said, absolutely. Where do I need to be? When? And that was, I want to say, '09, And from that point forward, it was sort of off to the races. And 2010, I moved to D.C. and I've been here ever since. And that really helped smooth the transition into being a more regular guest. And then a few years after that, a contributor. I am so grateful to a lot of people. In my little corner of this big behemoth in the news industry. Right. To the extent that this place has been successful, I would say that I have contributed just a little tiny amount to that success. A lot of other people are much more responsible for it, but I still own some of that responsibility and I am really proud of it. And as I said, grateful, I'm grateful to the executives and the bosses here who saw fit to hire me. Even as an intern back in the day and then on air, which really made my career in those early days who entrust me to this radio show every day, the bookers, producers, and anchors who have me on their show on the TV side, our staff here at the radio show, our bosses here at Fox News Radio, everyone who makes this place tick deserves a lot of credit because you don't get to be number one and then stay number one for two decades by accident. It takes a lot of hard work from a lot of people using a lot of their different talents in different ways. And to any extent that I can contribute to that overall success, it's an honor every day. And my gratitude, first and foremost, is extended to all of you. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone here at Fox News when I thank each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for watching, for logging on, for streaming. Without you, without your viewership and listenership. Without your loyalty, this would not happen. We wouldn't have a network, let alone a dominant number one network. That is you. We're forward-facing, but we serve you. And after 25 years, we cannot thank you enough. Let's make it 25 more. I'm Guy Benson. This is The Guy Benson Show. Happy birthday, Fox News. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you here for the Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show tomorrow. Good night from DC. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Happy Friday. Well, I'm especially excited because we've got dinner reservations tonight, and then we're going to see the brand new James Bond movie. Finally, 007 is back. This film has been pushed off multiple times because of COVID. It's the last Daniel Craig portrayal of Bond in his career, which is kind of a big deal. And I'm just excited to hear this theme song a little bit once again. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. I am stoked for tonight big time. And it's been a long wait, as I mentioned. And I have some mixed feelings about it. It has annoyed me that Daniel Craig has kind of rejected the role or kind of hinted or said outright in interviews that he's tired of it. And he just doesn't seem to be as excited and grateful to have a role that most actors would kill for. He's just sort of over it. I don't know. That's his prerogative as an artist or whatever. But I wish he seemed to love his portrayal as James Bond as much as I do, right? I think that's what bothers me. I like him. He's my favorite Bond. He is my favorite Bond. And we can argue about that. I know the Connery people are going to come after me. And Pierce Brosnan, there's a case to be made for him. There's a few others along the way. Roger Moore. To me, I am about this new era of Bond for a number of reasons, and I just wish that the guy in the role seemed to appreciate it to the level that I do. That's probably how I would encapsulate the frustration that I have, but it doesn't change the fact that my favorite Bond movie ever is Casino Royale, which was Daniel Craig's first. I also really liked Skyfall, and then some of the other ones – that he's made have been decent to not so great. Quantum of Solace was kind of a swing and a miss, but still better, I would say, than a lot of the older Bond stuff. And if you're an old school Bond fan, I'm sure you're shouting at your radio. It's just my personal taste. I don't love the camp as much, right? The camp versions, if you will. Campy is what I'm talking about, not summer camp. Of some of the older Bond and those portrayals. And I know people like that he's portrayed in previous movies as silky smooth and very debonair with no real edge to him, whereas Daniel Craig's Bond is extremely intense. And I think the movies are maybe just a tiny bit more realistic. I'll put that in quotes in this current era. And I like that. I prefer that to the older stuff. That's my personal belief, and preference. And you are more than welcome to disagree. So it's the end of an era with this movie. I don't know who the next Bond is going to be. We did briefly discuss that here on the show. Some people were saying, well, it ought to be a woman. No, it ought not be a woman. James Bond is a dude. If you did a spin off series about one of the other double O agents who's a woman, I would 100% be there to watch it. But James Bond needs to be James Bond, and we'll see who they end up casting. But I've enjoyed Daniel Craig. It started with a bang. I saw Casino Royale twice in the theaters. I never do that. A repeat view where you plunk down money twice to go to the theater. I did it twice. I loved it that much. I happened to see last night, because Dan sent it to our group text, and it was late, but I opened it anyway, This link. It's a piece in Esquire ranking from one to 24, all of the Bond movies, the opening credit theme songs, right? There's usually a very prominent musical artist who performs a song with every movie. And so this guy at Esquire, in fact, it was a team of editors at Esquire. It wasn't just one person having a bad opinion. It was a team of people having bad opinions about these rankings. And I don't disagree with all of the rankings, right? Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney, fine. They put that number one. That's a good song. We all know that song. We all recognize that song. In fact, at the Five for Fighting concert I was at a few weeks ago, John Andrasik played that song. He covered it. Goldfinger is also listed as number three. Shirley Bassey, that's a very famous one back from the olden days of Bond. It's a fun movie. I enjoyed it. Goldfinger, Like, we know it, right? I have no problem with those two being in the top five. What I do have a problem with is the new No Time to Die song by Billie Eilish. All right, This is the new movie, the new song that I guess I'll watch tonight in the credits. They have it in the top five. They have it number four ever. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. And it's not just because Billie Eilish is a big lib and is always out there screaming about... And this is not about Billie Eilish being a big lib and constantly being out there screaming about abortion. I don't care about that. I try to separate artists from their politics or else I would go crazy. This song just doesn't do it for me. I think it's boring. I think it's just middling. It's not awful. It is not the fourth best ever. And then where you start to get me really ticked off since I'm on this tangent, is you scroll all the way down to number 16 to get to Skyfall by Adele, which is really good. The movie was good. The theme song was awesome. I'm an Adele fan. She's got the new album out, right? So uh, that's cause for excitement. I'm not a huge Adele person, but I loved the song Skyfall with that piano coming in. This is the end. She, by the way, we aren't playing these songs for you because we don't have the rights to put them on the podcast. <laughs> and the home stretch on the podcast and Bonus Benson might sound really lame if we're talking about music that we then play but have to cut out for the podcast. So instead, you can be treated to me doing my best to try to sing some of these songs quite badly. Actually, we should have had Dan do them because Dan at least had a pretty good audition for for American Idol. I uh, would not dare try out for a singing competition show. Let the sky fall. Na, na, na. Something together. Yeah, that's how the song goes. You've heard it. It was big when the movie came out. 2012, I want to say. I can't believe it's been nine years Good song, but they've got it listed 16th out of 24, which is just garbage. And then worst, and I'll shut up about the Bond songs in just a second, their worst single decision is they have ranked dead last You Know My Name by Chris Cornell, which was the intro to Casino Royale with the really cool sort of animated cutout of James Bond running through a poker game. And shooting and and you've got all the different poker-related themes in this animation. I love that opening sequence. I thought the song was great. It was not smooth and cool like you'd hear someone crooning in a nightclub. It's intense. It's violent. It's visceral. It's exactly the type of intro that you want for this new era at the time of James Bond with Daniel Craig. It fit Daniel Craig, it fit the new version of Bond. Ba-dum, ba-dum, ba is so good. And they just demean it as not only okay, but in fact the worst. Forgettable? Mm-mm. I am uh, I am a strong, strong dissenter on that assessment. I would say you know my name by Chris Cornell is one of my favorite... Bond theme songs. That entire soundtrack of Casino Royale was great, right? The little uh, Vesper motif, right? The Bond girl in that movie, she had this little series of piano notes that clearly referred to her and sort of haunting later in the movie. Anyway, I will move on from this, but I just wanted to, ahead of tonight's viewing of the new movie, say that I have heard the Billie Eilish song and I'm not, super into it and i forcefully reject the esquire editors and their assessments on this whole list and i know talking earlier dan is in agreement with me overall on this stuff dan are you going to go see the movie this weekend
2: i'm actually going tonight to see it as well i'm very excited about it um i agree with you on daniel craig love him i also have an opposition view i do like the pierce brosnan ones I don't
0: Oh, I don't dislike that. No, I think I think he was a really good Bond. A Goldeneye was a great Bond movie, probably his best. And I have nothing bad to say about Brosnan as Bond. He was sort of a very central casting traditional Bond that was starting to modernize the franchise and then they went to a whole nother level with Daniel Craig. That is my read on it. By the way, Dan, you and I are sort of aligning in our entertainment viewing recently we both were watching Squid Game at the same time we both watched the Chappelle special last night we're both going to Bond tonight all separately but I endorse all of these choices especially as compared to producer Christine and we learned this earlier another layer of the cookie onion comes off Christine you have never seen a Bond film ever any of them
1: nope not one why? It's not that I'm purposely not, you know, going out of my way to, to not see it, but I, it just, uh, I There's don't
0: There's a lot of double negatives there. I, I feel like this is some double talk here by Cookie. I think it's because you are a spy. You're a spy. You were trained by the Kremlin. We've, we've talked about this before. This is part of my theory on you. Why would you go see a fictional movie about spies when you know what the real thing is really about? That's my theory as you were just rambling there with all. I didn't not not avoid to not watch like this. This is a traditional deflection tactic to get us all confused.
1: I have to say, I I did uh, ask my husband if he wanted to see the the movie. He's like, yeah, you want to see it? I said, well, I've never seen any other. So sure. And he looked at me and he goes, I feel like some days I just don't know you.
0: Yeah, same. Especially now after this Bond revelation, you've seen none of them. After four-plus decades on this earth as an American, get out of here. All right, here is your homework assignment, should you choose to accept it, which is a Mission Impossible reference. I don't know if you've seen any of those movies. Probably not. But this weekend, maybe ship your lovely daughter, Megan, off to Judgey e. Joyce's house, and you just need to do a binge session. Why don't you start with Goldfinger, GoldenEye, Casino Royale. If you don't like those movies, it's kind of a lost cause. Then you can move on to Squid Game, but just be forewarned, that's uh, pretty intense stuff. All right, and then we can all come back on Monday, talk about the new movie, at least Dan and I can, and we can see if you have finally rectified this situation and watched at least one Bond movie. That's the game plan heading into the weekend. I'm so excited. Going to see the movie tonight. In the meantime, please set your DVRs or tune in this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, The Big Show on Fox News Channel, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Both of those days, I'll be co-hosting. Back here on the radio on Monday, it's The Guy Benson Show. Have a fabulous few days off
2: That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show,
3: go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at FoxBusinessPodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.